to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. Before we get started, I want to thank everybody for listening and also thank the contributors to my show, who are executive producers Candace Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, and Ms. Aida, author and psychic of Who Do Justice Magic. Monthly co-host Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us. And monthly co-host Kat Baldwin, author of The Forgiveness Workshop. If you are interested in becoming a contributor to the show, go to my website, everythingimaginable2020.com, and you'll find everything you need there. And now, without further ado, our guest for today is Elka Scholes. She has written uh, have these three books here, Loving Your Life, an illustrated how-to book on becoming who you are and loving it, through passionate creative living, and Anxiety Warrior, one and two. Thank you for coming on, Elka. Thank you, Gary. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, anxiety. What is anxiety exactly? Well, that's a great question. I get asked that. And um, it's interesting because people have also asked, is there a difference between stress and anxiety? So anxiety itself, I mean, if we want to go into a definition, it's that feeling of worry, that nervousness. Um, typically, um, it is uncomfortable, for sure. I have anxiety, and it comes in different uh, forms, like physically, cognitively, um, emotionally, and behaviorally. So that's where it kind of overlaps. And um, where anxiety is different than fear, so anxiety is more anticipatory, uh, where fear is real. So like, um, okay, I was walking down a road, and this is actually a true story. Uh, a skunk decided to come out of the woods and chase me. Fear. <laughs> very present. So fear is very present, and it's immediate. And uh, we've got to got to do some action or or not. Anyways, uh, so that's fear. Anticipatory is uh, now when I go walking, I'm oh, I'm I'm not anxious about it. However, uh, there's this part of me that is very aware of where that skunk came out, and uh, so now I I consider it. Now that may be a very low level of anxiety, but if let's say I I started getting symptoms or reacting. Um, worrying that that skunk is going to uh, come and run after me, that's anticipatory. That's, so that's a little more about anxiety, and, and it actually can be a resource. And then we've got, of course, um, you know, what is weird, uh, worry. And worry is uh, usually chronic thoughts that uh, come over and over again. Um, it's higher than concern. And, um, and in fact, it comes from the English word rigon, which means to strangle. So worry um, is not really a, a productive activity. <laughs> hmm. um, and what are some of the common things that will cause people to have anxiety? Is it different for everybody or do, is everybody just responding to the same stimuli? 
you're right. Actually, it's different for everybody. So what uh, may create anxiety in me, you know, you might just go, meh, that doesn't bother me. So what's important to know is where does it come from? And uh, so in my work and with my clients and talking and have come up with 11 layers of where anxiety can come from. And there are also resources. So if you know where it comes from, then usually you can do something about it. So absolutely. And, and like I said, everybody's different and that's, there isn't a formula. It's really getting to know who you are and, you know, what's your limits and where is it coming from? You know, what's your checklist? So, Anxiety seems like to me like it's something that's like really broad. Like like I I see some people that have repetitive thoughts or constantly, you know, worrying about money or work or whatever, you know. And then there's somebody like me. I just don't care. Like I'm completely apathetic to everything. You know, I mean I used to care, but something changed that. But that's, that's something else. Maybe we'll talk about later in the episode. But. You know, there's definitely different degrees of it. Is, like there, is there a healthy level of anxiety versus an unhealthy level of anxiety? Sure. And, yeah, great question. And so anxiety, any of these uncomfortable feelings that we have as humans are all opportunities. And it is your body talking to you. So if you have anxiety and you can go into it, and, and hopefully we can talk a little bit about that is how can you make anxiety useful is then you can check in and go, oh, okay, this is what I need to do. Because your body really just tapping you on the shoulder. It's like going back to that skunk, you know, th- there probably was a den nearby. So just out of caution and being mindful, I'm not anxious in the sense of, you know, I'm not sweating or shaky or anything like that. However, now I'm very mindful and going, okay, there may be a done. So I'm just going to be uh, aware of that. So anxiety in different situations, yes, is tapping us on the shoulder. Now, where it becomes debilitating is when it stops us, when it stops us from that job interview that we really want, or if it stops us from uh, moving to that area we want to go or that relationship, uh, if it stops us from uh, going out at all, then it becomes problematic or when we're suffering to the point where um you know, we're, we're really uncomfortable, and um, then that's problematic. Hmm. One of the things that you said that sort of stuck out to me is that it's our body's response, meaning that it's coming from our body, not our mind. Um, and that's something that's come up on my podcast a lot, is how um, a lot of these things are stored in our muscles and in our neurological system, not necessarily in a memory. Um, so with that, a lot of my other, my guests have suggested more physical ways to treat it rather than like mental or cognitive therapy. It's a combination. You know, it's interesting, Gary, because uh, as, um, as a psychotherapist, also I'm very interested in, in the human, the mind and the body. So a lot of my work you know, I work with uh, people somatic, uh, like their symptoms, right? So what's going on in the body. And um, so that, that could be a twofold answer, actually. It could go to the mind or it could go to the body. And again, they're clues and everybody's so different in every situation. 
So a simple one, and I talk about this in, in the volume in the Anxiety Warrior, is substance, so chemicals, and even water. So if we don't have enough water, our brain is giving the body signals like anxiety. So we could just be um, dehydrated. And that happens a lot, um, you know, when people are sweating at night, if they do sweat uh, for their whole sleep, and not every night. However, if people, one of the questions I ask is, do you wake up with anxiety? And if that answer is yes, then uh, try drinking a quarter cup of water as soon as you wake up. Because if it's coming from this dehydration, then that's a body, a body mind. And your brain is, a, is part of your body. It's an organ. Um, it will go away. And in many cases, uh, people have lowered their anxiety just by doing that. So how, it's a body how, thing. But how about <laughs> I know I didn't answer the whole question, yeah. but you'll have to un- unpack it a little bit here. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, like I was sort of like referring to like like some people will use more of a holistic approach to anxiety, like trying things like acupuncture, stuff like that, you know, tapping into different parts of the body to release that energy from the actual physical body itself rather than just looking at the emotional side of it. Right. And uh, it's interesting. That's a, it's such an interesting thing. So one of the things with anxiety and and I've got to tell you, it's probably for me the most uncomfortable feeling. So and I still get it, however, not like I used to, which which uh, kind of helped me develop these books and work with my clients. So um, the first thing is it's natural for humans to not want that feeling whether it's grief, whether it's anger, whether it's anxiety, we want to say, okay, let's get over it. Let's get back to our happy place or our calm place. So we, we want to kind of uh, skip over a lot of things and, and, um, and not the holistic at all these physical things are all useful and they may get us to a place where it lowers it enough so we can do the work, so we can do it that way. Um, and you're right, like physical activity, um, you know, if we sit there and go, if I go, Gary, you know, right now I've got so much on my mind and I actually did work out this morning because there's a lot of stuff. I've got renovations and different things going on. It's not nothing bad. Just my body is activated. So I, uh, I did a, um, you know, a 20 K cycle this morning. So then of course that activity, you know, gives us those endorphins and then we just move on with our day and, and tapping. You're right. Um, I use that EMDR, that version. Um, it does help people and, and helps calm them though. If that underlying cause is not resolved, the anxiety is just going to come back. And, um, and I agree with the holistic. You've got to know that as um, in my work, I work with the whole body. How are you sleeping? What are you eating? What are you doing? What's going on in your life? Where is this all coming from? And uh, then uh, I'm very practical, you know, with strategies. Like, how can we do this? And I believe we can. Hmm. So my strategy for dealing with stress or anxiety is, I just think to myself, what is the worst that could happen? I die? That's it. I mean, that is the absolute worst thing that could possibly happen, which really isn't that bad. Mm-hmm. So, so when, I, when I look at it like from that way, I, I don't really even see anxiety being 
a rational emotion or feeling. Well, you know, that's, and that's a great uh, tool for you. But however, uh, and you know, you've, you've touched on something too very valuable is if people are afraid to die. So a lot of people are. And um, so where's our spiritual post? And so that's something too that, um, you know, people could look at if you're worried about dying, if you're afraid of death, what's your spiritual post? What, what's your resolution? I mean, we're all going to die and we don't talk about death. And, um, you know, every moment we're closer, even as people are listening to that, we're, we're minutes or hours closer to our death. That's just the way it is. A lot of people, they don't want to think about that. And so, of course, the anxiety they don't have a spiritual post or some kind of resolution. And I'm not saying religion. I'm saying a spiritual post. So whatever that is for you. And then the other thing, which is interesting, too, is not everybody's thinking about death when they're thinking about their anxiety or when the anxiety is happening. So it could be a threat in uh, their living conditions. It could be um, a concern about finances, uh, which is, you know, has happened quite radically, especially in the last couple of years. Um, this uncertainty, a lot of people aren't um, settled in uncertainty. And if they've got young children, um, you know, what is their future or grandchildren? And uh, so then it, it, there's this layered um, I would say concern that could build up in somebody. Hmm. I mean, somebody might be sad that you're going to die. <laughs> yeah, maybe, but they're going to die too. So it's really no big deal in the end. Only, I know, but in the meantime, they'll miss you. <laughs> it's still it's only temporary, man. You know, we're just hanging out here for a little while. <laughs> yes, but you know what? If we're present and and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm only guessing that, um, you know, sure, we could die, but then somebody's going to be really sad about that. And, um, and that's going to be their reality for how long uh, what they have. So, and why, why can't we ease that? Why can't we make that easier hmm. for people? You leave instructions for them. Like when my mom passed away, she left me a note. Aw. You know, yeah. So she so just told me what to do. You know, she's like, don't worry about it. Screw it. Just have as much fun as you possibly can. That's basically what the note said. I know, but that's so nice. And, you know, this is so, and this is so good, Gary, because in volume one, it was interesting because I have contributors. And the one contributor, um, she has a book about love your life to death. And that's how we met because mine was loving your life and hers was love your life to death. And she writes about how can we make a death box? How can we prepare our loved ones? How can we prepare ourselves? Because this is going to happen. So uh, it's like an instruction book for, for dying. And, and we've sanitized death generally. We, you know, a hundred years ago, we had, we laid out uh, the person on the parlor. Uh, we had uh, livestock, which is also, um, you know, they died. So children grew up with life and death on the farm. And, um, you know, the, when somebody died, they were laid out in the parlor. They weren't like now the recent funerals I've been to. You don't see anybody. You just see this this uh, urn, which is people's choice. It's not a criticism. However, we're we're so sanitized from it and so removed. And 
we've removed our seniors. You know, we, they live in a, a seniors facility. And if we're not working there or going there, um, you know, we don't have our elders around us um, like we used to. So that's changed. And how can we, you know, and it's lovely your mom left that note. I, I've got notes for my kids, too. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Yeah. It's a good thing to do. Uh, I think so. And that's yeah. one of the things, like like you mentioned, everything is sanitized. I mean, that's one way of looking at it. I think that we've really moved away from nature. Yes. You know, because you, if you're living in nature and you're seeing that constant cycle, you, you know that you're a part of it. And when we remove ourselves from nature, the further we move ourselves from nature, I think the more we start lying to ourselves. Yep. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. I agree. And um, just so you know, I do live on six acres and I have thousands of acres is my backyard of uh, my neighbors. And and you're right. We have removed ourselves from nature. We we've um, as humans, we're natural foragers. We we've you know, some of us know how to forage in the woods. Uh, most of us don't. And, and then when we know how we can feed ourselves, then, you know, again, there's all this, this different type of, of um, living, I think, the sustainability. And like you said, too, when we're in nature, we see the, um, the birth and the death. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like my, um, I don't think my grandfather, my dad's father, ever bought food from a supermarket. <laughs> He grew Isn't that everything. awesome? <laughs> or That's went fishing, so awesome. or went hunting, or 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 he would raid maybe the supermarket's dumpster even, but he would never buy food. Well, we have a lovely community up here, and um, you know our our thing is forging and making tinctures and our own um, uh, medicines and. Um, yeah, and and our all our goal is that we grow our own food that we're self-sustaining. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, and, 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 that, and that takes away anxiety because all of a sudden you have confidence in yourself. And when well, you, have, you do. And yeah, you're not relying on some outside source, and when you're cut off, and then if you're not relying on an outside source, you're not worried about being cut off from that outside source. So therefore, you don't have that particular anxiety. Well, and, and the abundance, that's the end, and, and you're right, the abundance in nature, it's just crazy. Like, I, I uh, was interested in uh, hawthorn uh, bushes, and, and once you start recognizing them, my neighborhood is full of wild hawthorn bushes, like, more than I could ever use. And as you learn, I've been learning more about mushrooms, and I didn't realize that mushrooms have 40% protein in them, which is phenomenal. And uh, so I want to get better at that. And that's, it's incredible, the abundance that mm-hmm. we have in our nature. Yeah, you're right. It gives you confidence, I think, when we're self-sustaining. There's a lot of confidence and health. And and the other benefits, of course, it's so pure, like the, the it's so, like, we want to call it natural. It's organic. It's naturally organic. So, yeah. yeah, you're right. That was something my grandfather used to do too. Was, was mushrooms? He would grow mushrooms. Like he could grow them in a couple of days. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. There's people that are so good at it. I've got lots to learn about mushrooms, and um, yeah, you could do so much. And I just uh, had the pleasure of watching a documentary on the 
um, fungi, and and it's just incredible uh, what mushrooms do to our well, what how they participate in our world and what they do. So it's pretty great. Yeah. Mm. Um. So how 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 like like you know. How do you talk to somebody who's experiencing anxiety? One of the things I think about anxiety, too, is once you're anxious, it, you can't really talk yourself. In fact, the harder you try to talk yourself out of being anxious, the worse it's going to get because you're just feeding it more. So so how yeah. do you stop that cycle? Yeah, sometimes. And, and you know, what's so – and I just want to interject this – little piece too what's unfortunate is again our human nature is to go past the anxiety and get rid of it and unfortunately it's one of the um um i don't know what the right word is quickest or perhaps um you know people go to the doctor for that and they get medicated for it and unfortunately it doesn't resolve anything and um so so that's that that's just a note uh so yeah so if somebody's coming into my office and they're suffering from anxiety i start going through the different things in their cycle so you know how are you sleeping if they're telling me they're not sleeping well it takes two to three days of terrible sleep and your mental health depression anxiety just can go through the roof and and um i mean that that's you know we need to get sleep we need that sleep so what's stopping you from sleeping so that's a big big topic there the other is what are you drinking what are you eating what are you doing so we really when you say looking at that holistic part of you there's so much if you're you can lower your anxiety drink more water perhaps you're you know uh, drinking too much coffee um you know, some people can tolerate it. Most of us can have a little bit, but not so much. Um, you know, are you a smoker? Are you a drinker? I mean, if, if um, some people are drinking wine at night and they're waking up a few hours later, well, you know, maybe drink a different type of wine or something else. Like, so we really look at how do we get that quality of sleep? Because if we're not physically in shape, if our body isn't uh, primed, and and in and a in a peak state, mm-hmm. well, our mental health is going to suffer like huge, and um, so we really talk about uh, what's going on in their lives, and um, and you know if it's uh, some like I had one person come in a few years ago, and um, you know there was a separation, there was some financial issues. Uh, some some very concrete things on her plate and she had three little kids and in between jobs and after she described her situation I said you know what I would be anxious too if I was in that position and and she looked at me and she said oh I said and 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 then she went she literally went with her sleeves and said you know what this is temporary. And I said, yes, it is. It's just a really hard time in your life right now. So you're going to feel anxious. You're going to be stressed. And she said, you know what? I know what to do and I can get through this. And I never saw her again. Mm. (laughs) So I know. So sometimes we just need somebody to say, 
you know what, this is just rough right now. And it's um, so knowing, you know, what's practical, what's, what's right on your plate right now. Is it, you know, maybe you're waiting for surgery, maybe you're, you know, so you're going to have some sleepless nights, but take care of yourself, know what it is. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like, and, and uh, anyways, I'm rambling, but <laughs> no, no, this is fascinating because I, I completely agree um, with that, you know, about listening to our bodies and like when we're going through a bad time, like I recently just like went through a, a divorce and I moved and had to start a new job. I had to start my whole life over again, you know, and one of the ways I've managed to get through it, it really is um, self-care, you know. Yep. I, I just kind of um, took care of all my basic needs and then some, you know. So it's like, if I want to be lazy, I'm going to be lazy. You know, I, 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 I kind of do what I feel like I'm going to do rather than push myself really, really hard, which is sort of like in our Western society. That's what they want us to do. They want us to push our bodies and our minds until we freaking keel over. So it's like almost like we have to do the opposite of what we were taught. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that actually is another source of anxiety for people. And so I help people uh, with social and cultural beliefs. And, you know, as babies and under six, we're, we have no filter. So we're just absorbing all these cultural and social beliefs. And... Um, you know, like you, you just mentioned one about uh, work ethic, you know, work, 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 work. Uh, that could have been a cultural belief that, that we picked up. And uh, it's not just from our families or our parents. We pick it up from teachers, from clergy, from the TV, from media, from magazines. And as little children, we don't have any filters. So then our brain has collected these belief systems. And then when something happens, goes, oh, see, see, it's true. It's true. And, and it gets, I want to say temporary locked in because we can, once we're aware of a belief system, we can change it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes. I think awareness <laughs> isn't, where, I think there's more to it than just awareness. You know? Yeah. Okay. How so? <laughs> um, because if I come aware of something, it doesn't necessarily go away. For me, I, I think that's like half of it, you know. I, okay. I, I mean, the other part of it is um, rationalizing that. Okay, it's like all right. I'm, I'm a, say like I, I have an anxiety of of something. Okay, it's like okay. I recognize I have this anxiety of like, for example, I used to be afraid of driving over bridges. I used to hate driving over bridges, you know. Um, and I would recognize it, but I wouldn't get rid of that anxiety. But then what did get rid of the anxiety was I would just imagine myself driving off the side of a bridge and dying. Mm. And that's the worst that could possibly happen. And now I don't have that anxiety anymore. Well, that's great. And, you know, I think, Gary, you're, I think it comes back to you're not afraid to die, you know, most people are, so they're going to have anxiety or it may continue. Or perhaps perhaps there was something in a, in a past situation that, that scared them, you know. And, and so we talk about traumas and memories. Mm -hmm. And some of those are a little bit more, they're more, well, they are more work to relieve. So not, 
not all anxiety, like a lot of anxiety we can manage for sure. And uh, though if it's an anxiety like panic attacks or um, agoraphobia, that's not going to go away or OCD, then um, it may be trauma or memory related. And that's, you know, that's what that then we work on it through therapy. So that's a bit different. Right. Interesting. Um, so when it comes to like living life, like, like people like living their best life and loving life rather than going through life, you know, like a miserable zombie slave, which I would say probably 80% of our population does. Yep. Um, what is the solution? Like, how do you go from being, you know, a miserable zombie slave to living (laughs) a life that you love? Well, that's a great question. I think, um, I think we ha- I think the beginning is to be asking questions, be curious. Otherwise, we're going to remain in that zombie state. And I don't know if you're familiar with Ken Wilber's work, Stages of Consciousness or Beck. And so they talk about um, different stages of consciousness. So we all start archaic fundamentalism, the yes, no, wet diaper, dry diaper, full belly, empty belly. Um, and, and then we evolve. And not everybody stays at um, that archaic or, or magical thinking is the next one. These are Ken Wilber's terms. So, so when we talk about this zombie miserable state, and, uh, and you're right, it's about 75, 80% of the world yeah, that's that's their their calculations. I don't know where that comes from, but um, and 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 we all know people like that. And and people have asked me, how do you get out of it? And and the, and the way is to say first, is there more? Is there, you know, how come they're happy and and I'm not? Or what what is, what does Gary have and I don't? <laughs> You know, he's thinking a different way. And, and that's the beginning to come out of that. Um, otherwise, um, you're just going to stay where you're at and you don't evolve. You don't move past uh, the consciousness level and, um, and you're not going to hear it either. And, and, and uh, it's interesting because, you know, uh, people that are in there are archaic they're not going to hear our conversation. They'll just hear wah, wah, wah. They will not understand it. They won't understand the language or the concepts. And um, that may frustrate them or they walk away. And if, until they want to change, that's the only way it's going to happen for them. And then, of course, we're here. Yeah. We're here and ready, right? Yeah, I've come across that a lot. It, it, that's an interesting thing that people are not ready or, or don't want to you know, they're not ready for that information, they filter it out. And it reminds me of that old saying, like, like um, you know, when a student is ready, the teacher will appear. Well, well, life is the teacher. It's really when yep. that filter is going to be lifted and you're actually going to start paying attention. Yep. Absolutely. Hmm. But um, so, so once a person recognizes that they're, they're stuck in this cycle and they want out, you know, they're like, okay, I'm tired of being in this job. I'm tired of this relationship. Um, I'm, I'm tired of living in this 
crappy apartment in the city, what would that person need to do? Like, first you start to start changing their thinking. Like, like, but how would that process go? I mean, like, how would you get that person to start changing their thinking and then to start trusting their thinking enough to actually act out and make those changes? Well, that's a great question. And I think it's a scary one. And um, I remember that process myself. And I remember um, thinking that if I slowed down, it was going to be pretty scary to look at uh, what was going on inside me. <laughs> and, and I did it, of course. And it is scary because uh, I think you realize that you're responsible for your life. So all that misery, all that, um, if you want to call it misfortune or, or whatever, you know, we've created that and that's really hard to face. And, um, and that's, I've heard it called the dark night of the soul. I'm sure it's called many different things. And once you realize that, um, that you're responsible for your life, you're the creator of your life, then you, then you, then you switch it to that you're the creator of your life and you're, you're, you're the one that um, can make these changes. It's very empowering and frightening at the same time. <laughs> and there's a big risk, you know. That's where you have to trust we, yourself. In, in, yeah. Because you've been trusting what you've been told all yeah. your life, and now you have to go and try to trust yourself, which is actually going against everything that you've heard for probably like the last 30 or 40 years of your life. Yeah, and the good part, though, you know what the great part is, and that's how I do therapy with people, because I listen to their words, and they have their inner wisdom. So honestly, I'm, I don't think I'm that wise. I just listen, and they come up with the solutions, and I'll just say, you know what, you just said this, and your whole body changed. Your, your face brightened up. You started to laugh and smile, and they'll sit back, and they just go, yeah. Right. So we've lost touch with our body. So that's part of the thing is to come back to your body. So if you're that that nervous about it and you want that journey is is go check some people out and and interview either a life coach or a therapist or somebody that fits with this and interview them. Make sure they resonate with you and and that it feels good and, and it trust that like people don't trust their bodies anymore and uh, one of the things that I do uh, is do an energy check-in so if my energy goes up then I know I'm on the right track if my energy goes down or I start constricting or something's going on then I've got to look at that and that's an opportunity again you know our bodies are our barometers and uh, one thing that's very cool is your body your whole system is set up to survive. Your brain, everything in your brain, all your body parts, all your mental parts, even though maybe they, you know, there's things that may not always feel good, they're all set up for us to thrive and to be alive. So that's why you can trust your body. Like, don't, I always tell people, don't trust me. Don't trust anything I say. That's not, it's, I'm only here to give a smorgasbord and a presentation and, and um, perhaps maybe guide you. Trust yourself. So, yeah. Hmm. Always. So, if a person is unhappy, are they more likely to experience more physical pain? 
How so? What do you mean physical pain? You mean actual, like, headaches or tension or? Um, anything. Like, I'll give you an example. Um, I mentioned earlier, like, how I got divorced and stuff like that. You know, prior to that, I had gotten married and I moved to Alabama and I hated it. I hated where I lived. My relationship wasn't good anymore with my wife after we got married. <laughs> um, I couldn't find a job. And as a result, like, the first thing that happened is I hurt my back so bad somehow. No, I was just mowing my yard that I lost feeling like one side of my body for like six months, you know. And then I tried to get myself going again. I pushed really hard. And then I ended up having a really bad epileptic seizure. And then after wow. the seizure, I mean, you know, that, that's when it was like that's where things changed for me because it was like a near death, like it was like a near death experience that kind of came out of it. It was a little bit different, you know. It was like my body, my brain completely reset somehow. Um, but I wonder if those, all that physical uncomfort <laughs> and, and seizures and stuff like that were a result of, of me just being completely miserable. There's a lot of theories that would say yes. Uh, one of the things that, actually, you can research this. Um, I think the number is as high as 90% of illnesses, stressors, pains, is caused by stress. And this is coming from um, actually one of my, uh, we talked about this uh, about, I think, six or seven months ago. And uh, it's actually, you can research it. And there's Harvard has done um, research on it. So this is very science research-based by many universities. There's about, I think the list I found, there were 10 uh, unit, well-known universities just in the states alone that um, came up with that 90%. So that's a lot. Uh, so it's pretty high. So my, you know, when you look at those kind of um, stats, or then we can do a lot. I've seen so much healing in my studio and office uh, with clients when uh, traumas have been resolved, when... Um, happiness and passion is back in their lives it's amazing it's so amazing and they come back and they just go this is really weird but i feel really really good and i haven't felt this way in years and mm -hmm. is this going to stay and i go ma probably likely you know you keep it keep it up listen to your body or um and you got to know that our brain chemistry so uh stress and trauma changes brain chemistry so when we can heal that that means your brain chemistry is changing and people have um healed from lots of what we would have called mental disorders so um through the healing of the brain and the trauma it so we're changing chemistry in our body too it's pretty fascinating i get really excited about it <laughs> Hmm. So it may be, it's probably likely that maybe not ever, all of it, Gary, but, um, you know, yeah. maybe there was a 10% factor in there, but um, 
you know, when we're that unhappy, it's amazing. Um, I, I've really seen it in people. I can see it. And, um, and I also see the difference. I see the vitality and, and you kind of go, what are they doing? And it's all really super healthy self-care stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause as ever since I've been added to that situation, I feel way better. You know? Yeah. I mean, the only difference now is like, I mean, maybe I'm lazier now because I don't have to do as much. The way he's nagging me all the time, so. But <laughs> it, it, I'm definitely, I feel physically better, mentally better. Um, when, when people make these changes in their lives, um, do you recommend that they do it on their own or is there groups of people trying to do this where they can kind of help each other? You know what? We're tribe animals. We're meant to be together. We're, we were never, we were never meant to be solitary. Um, we're always meant to be in tribes, mm-hmm. families, groups. So, yeah. And you know, what does that look like for you? And, and I mean, some people are, again, it's back to your comfort level as well. So um, I, I think any of the courses that I've, I've helped people with, or, you know, some of it is how, how are you going to keep going? What's going to keep encouraging you? And sometimes it means uh, having a friend do it with you, whether it's an exercise program, um, whether it's like I, I'm part of a program I joined. A, uh, it's part of Swift. It's so fun. But they've, there's experts at getting you involved. So, you know, I'm doing extra because I joined this tour. You get double points. It's just fun. And, and again, it's about, you know, you're riding with 600 people from all over the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a virtual thing. And that can be fun over there. However, you know, what's going to help you take a walk in the woods right now? What's going to help you with your diet or what's going to help you with anything? Yeah, I, I would say, of course, do it with people and whatever is comfortable, if it's just one person or if it's a group. Absolutely. Because one of the things that I come across a lot, a lot of my, well, not a lot, but I'll say I've interviewed quite a few of my guests um, who are leaning or who are starting more like communal communal type of living situations where people will go off grid and live in communities, start growing their own food. Everybody does what they want and, you know, live or, yeah, or they're growing their own organic food and stuff like that. And, um, you know, and just unplugging from society and going to that kind of lifestyle to find happiness and spirituality and to connect with nature and to connect with, with whatever spirituality they want to. Um, and that seems to be pretty popular now. And they're doing yeah. it like these groups of people. Or they're trying to more and it, more. They're trying to organize. Yep. More and more. Yep. People are doing that. Yes. Yeah. Going back to the tribe and mm-hmm. the community, our community. Yeah. Well, we got uh, what I noticed, I mean, is that you know, over, over my lifetime, people became more insular. And that actually was predicted uh, way back in the late 70s and early 80s that, you know, there was going to be more ready-made foods. Um, people were going to be working more. There was that dual income idea. And, um, 
and it's so interesting and and this uh, um, trend towards uh, the home being an island and not so much part of a community and uh, it's not natural and what I, I notice in in my office is a lot of burnout uh, especially with women of uh, 35 to 40, 45, maybe 42, you know, they've got young families, they think they can do everything. And, and, uh, and that's been promoted. And, and it's not that their husbands don't help, they do. But, you know, the women think they've got to be mothers, house managers, and career people and take extra courses. And I'm going, why do you think that's possible to have three full time jobs? And uh, again, it's something, and you mentioned it earlier, it's something that we've been told, you mm-hmm. know, and, and I think um, maybe guys, some guys do it. I don't see as many guys, um, men having the burnout. I think maybe they're, li- they're a little better at self-care. <laughs> maybe, I don't know. I don't see them in my office, mm-hmm. but. That's interesting. You know, One of the things, like I used to work in a, in a music store, we used to do like you know, offer guitar lessons for kids and stuff. And these parents would come, bring their kids into the music, you know, for their guitar lessons or whatever. And it'll be like, like, like the kid has like guitar this night, has soccer the next night, has, um, I don't know, math competition following that day. Like this kid has like every night. Every second of his kid's life is scheduled. The mom has to take him to here, 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 and here. And I'm thinking, like, you know, this kid is not going to have any time to master any just one thing, first of all. And his parents are just going to run around like a maniac. And in the end, it's really not going to achieve anything. It's too much. And it's too much. I, yeah, yeah, I've seen that a lot, too. And then some parents... Um, they feel guilty if there's only the children that get only one activity. You know, we need to still let them be kids. And um, I just never, I didn't do that. I didn't, um, I was bringing up my kids on my own. And I just said, you know, you get one activity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I also made a commitment to them too. And I said, I'm only going to teach one course at night a week. Because then the rest of the time we're doing things together. So we... We kind of figured it out, and you know what? They're they're both of them are very well rounded, um, and they're following their own interests. I don't think they feel like they've missed too much, or with whether a lack of soccer or a lack of piano lessons or guitar. But they, you know, they did get to try some of these things. I think, yeah, I, I've had parents that feel guilty when they're not running around uh, three different places and it's so stressful. And, and you know what kids really want? They just want to be with their parents. And um, I really had a, a, an interesting experience with my children. When I graduated, I said to them, I gave them lots of notice. I said, my gift for my graduation is that you come to Switzerland and um, you come to my graduation and then my son hadn't met his German relatives. And I said, then we're going to go to Germany for a week. And it was interesting because um, I asked the kids, because I've been there. It's, I was very familiar uh, with Solingen. And, and I said, okay, what do you want to do today? 
And they said, we just want to be with you. So let's go sit in the backyard. And uh, my son at the time, he was 23 and my daughter was 12. And I said, really, I just want to sit in the backyard. They said, yeah, that's what we want to do. Let's go sit in the backyard and talk. They just wanted to be with me. They didn't want to go sightseeing. Um, They didn't want to go downtown. They said, well, maybe later we'll go for a walk. And, And we did that for quite a few days. And they just... And that's what kids want. They just want to be with their parents. And I think parents maybe sometimes forget that. And even teenagers want to be with their parents. And, um, you know, and it's not that we have to talk or always do something. They just want to be with. Hmm. Yeah, we don't have to be so busy all the time. I don't know if hmm. I remember really wanting to be with my parents. <laughs> I don't know. I think all I want. Maybe it, maybe it depends on the parents. <laughs> well, I, mean, I mean, my mom was cool. I, I, I liked hanging out with her. And my dad, my dad was okay in the work situation. Like I used to, he used to have like a landscaping business, so I would work for him. And like in that situation, we got along. But at home, not so much. You know, most of the time, I just wanted to play guitar and take drugs as a kid. <laughs> Yeah, well, my kids still wanted to be with their friends, of course. Um, I think, though, maybe the point I'm trying to make is maybe we don't need to be so busy. And yeah. um, and and my where I feel a little bit of sadness is when, you know, kids like parents are working till seven at night and, you know, supper is at eight and then it's bedtime. And, you know, where's the time like where and, and I'm not you know, saying that we have to be together 24-7. However, uh, you know, we've got to sit and eat meals together and um, just be together, have some time, you know, whatever that is. And it doesn't maybe have to be a lot. It's just got to be quality. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Everybody's different. <laughs> well, that was one thing my parents did is they made me come home for dinner. So I would have to come yeah. home for dinner. And that could go back out again and do what I wanted, but I had to come home. Yeah, my my daughter had a sleepover. I mean, I always invited my kids. I said, look, you can have all your friends over anytime. And so they'd have sleepovers. And one of the big things I enjoyed was making breakfast for the kids. And, uh, and I, you know, if I was like, I just would ask if it was okay that I'd sit and they oh, yeah, yeah. And we would sit at the table sometimes for a couple hours and I remember some of the kids saying that they don't do that at home and they just enjoyed it so much and they were did the talking I would just sit there and you know have breakfast too and I didn't really say a lot but I was there and um yeah I think we forget sometimes you know that they do want our presence <laughs> you know I guess like now you bring it up the more I think about it that is true too because like my parents would let us hang out like yeah, you know, like I said, all I wanted to do was play, you know, take drugs and play guitar. But my parents were like, they'll let me do it in the basement of the house. You know, they had the couches and all this shit in the basement. And we'd hang out and do it. But the funny thing is, like, my friends, some of them became friends with my mom. You know, because I remember I, I ran into one friend. Like, I hadn't seen him in, like, 25 years, you know. And uh, the first thing is, like, dude. I want to come to your house and say hi to your mom. <laughs> like, you know, and, and I remember like other people's parents, like, you know, me liking their parents too, you know, and 
So I guess we did sort of hang out more together. Maybe I just look, don't really remember that part of it. Well, I think I see it where the kids are lonely. Um, so then maybe that's why I paid attention to it, because I heard that from other children, right? Yeah. And, and um, they really just wanted to be... And it wasn't like... It wasn't like I'm not talking about helicoptering or 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 doing that like that suppression kind of thing. It was more just being available and being there. And um, and I noticed that just from experience and what I hear from other families is when the parents weren't around, the children suffered. And, um, you know, they they maybe didn't take always a, a better path. But when the parents were available and around, just being there, um, and and I know that kids struggle sometimes, and there's lots of mixed messages. And if we can just be there and solid and consistent, um, they 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 tend to work it out. And uh, I've experienced that quite a few times. Like parents have come, and just the fact that they were open, you know, and say, "Well, how do I do this?" My, you know, my son or my daughter is blah 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 blah, and I just say, "Well, you know, just continue, keep talking," and and um, they know that you love them, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and 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 maybe don't be so angry or or uh, you know if that's what's going on, and and uh, just helping them with language or some of those hurts and. Um, I just remember reading something from Dr. Charles Pierce, and he said, he said, it's all repairable. We're not perfect parents, and um, but we can always repair, and it doesn't matter how old they are. So, um, you know, we just have to remember that. And, and sometimes it's worth saying it uh, from a position of love and, and even being firm and just saying, you know what, I'm doing this because I love you. Mm-hmm. And uh and yeah. Anyways, it makes me think of my son. He got married a few years ago and I got to talk at his wedding. And one of the things I said is I said, you know, growing up, you were mad at me a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and and I and, and that's OK, you know, and I said, but I don't think you're so mad anymore. And of course, everybody laughed and and they get it. And um, it was just a really lovely moment. And and um, and he nodded his head and, you know, it's good. It's OK. But he knows that he always knew that I loved him, you know, and I, and that's where we come from. So sometimes we have to say it. Sometimes we have to say it out loud. Hmm. How, how much of this type of upbringing? Um, I mean, are there any things that parents do or shouldn't be doing with their children um, to help them prevent having anxiety as adults? That's a great question, Gary. Um, so one of the things that's really important is um, we need to, as parents, is how do we let the children have some of their own experience? And that is such a tough thing for parents. <laughs> and and I've had to ask myself so many times, and I even as a parent, I would get coaching because, you know, we don't teach this. We don't teach these basic skills in school. We don't teach them in high school. We don't teach them anywhere. Maybe some camps will teach 
um, kids and counselors, um, you know, how to behave and communicate, but we don't get that. So um, one of the things is, you know, how do we step back as parents? How do we let our kids make mistakes and learn? I mean, sometimes we think that we've got to protect them or give them the best experience possible or, and how do we let them still be children and, and explore the world and, and make their mistakes, but not in a dangerous way? It's, a, it's, it's really boggling as a parent. And um, so I would sit back and, um, you know, I would think about it and I'd actually ask the question is, how much do I interfere at this moment? And um, um, a number, a good number is um, I went to a workshop once and they said zero to 10, how, how serious is this? So, you know, I would sit back and many times I go with zero to 10, how serious is this? You know, and if it was a one or a two, then I, I let my, my child do what they needed to do. And, um, and I was an involved parent, whether it was with teachers, and I would always sit back and go, okay, how much do I need to have a meeting with the teacher? <laughs> do I have to have a three-way meeting? I, I wouldn't play monkey in the middle. I never did that. Um, that's not fair. So I would just say, okay, let's meet the teacher together. Let's do this. Um, but yeah, I would use that zero to 10 scale hmm. a lot. And um, I don't know if that's answering the question. <laughs> It's interesting, you know, you mentioned like, like letting, like when I was a kid, I would go out and do all kinds of dangerous stuff that would, could have gotten me killed. I, like, I remember like as a kid, we would hang off the side of a bridge. <laughs> like, and, you know, if we fell, we would have definitely died. But we would go out and do crazy stuff like that. And, um, you know, it makes me think of like a hundred years ago, if, if, if a parent had four kids, out of that four kids, three would survive to adulthood. So, so they would normally at least lose one to some kind of crazy accident. Yeah, I don't you know, know that stat, but... <laughs> yeah, it, it, if you look it up, like, like, peop, like the survival rate wow. of kids wasn't as high as it. Like now, every parent expects all their kids to survive, all their kids to go to college, and all their kids to be successful. And to me, that seems like an unrealistic expectation. Wow. That's interesting. Um, I don't know if you've read anything by Jean Leadoff, no. The Human Continuum. And actually, Sidney Portier, when his, um, I'm trying to think, is it uh, when you write when you write about yourself, is that a, a biography or autobiography? Yeah, it's a, it's a I don't know. Anyways. <laughs> Yeah, anyways, it's one of those. Anyways, he, and anyway, anyhow, the principle and the idea is that we, again, it comes back to that our brain is there to help us survive. So you may have done some what you thought were dangerous things, but there was something in your brain that said, ah, you know what, if you let go right now, you're going to die and it's probably not a good idea. So hang on. <laughs> so don't do that. And, and Jean uh, Leadloff, she, She's an anthropologist and she was studying, she studied different tribes all over the world. And she wrote this lovely little book called The Human Continuum. And she talks about that we have this natural innate survival instinct and in that in the tribes that she was observing, they didn't put knives away. They didn't put sharp objects away. 
And she said babies um, and the little children, they didn't have play pens or anything like that. They naturally did not um, harm themselves and they would walk along um, edges of cliffs. And, um, and I'm not saying that we should do those things, but I remember her saying that, that sometimes we have to let our children like I remember my little my little guy, he he climbed this rock and I'm I'm in like my breath was like, okay, do I like he he if he fell, the worst he could have scraped his head or had a bad bruise. And I thought, do I go and tell him to get off that rock? And I thought, no, don't let him jump on the rock. And and I mean, sure, sometimes, you know, we haven't done the best things and neither did I as a kid. But I, I remember going for big, long walks and I was five years old and I was like eight blocks away. And, mm-hmm. and I remember people going, where do you live? And I tell them, they go, don't you think you should be going home? And I'm going, I don't know. I'm OK. I'm not lost. I wasn't lost. So they just go, OK. But now, you know, if people see a five year old. They're going to, you know, they call the police and, and you know, where should you be? And and um you know, we don't uh, we don't do that. And Sidney Portier talks about his childhood and he said they played along the ocean all the time. They'd they'd have their breakfast and then they'd say bye and they were gone the whole day. They'd come back for supper. And um, he said we did all kinds of things and played. And and he said we just you know, we we didn't drown. We didn't fall off the cliffs. We didn't you know, if we got bruised or whatever it happened. But um so, so I wonder where the balance is. Um, and then I would think about that with my children, you know, even bike riding or, and did we sometimes get hurt? Yeah, we did. We went mountain biking and, you know, <laughs> and it wasn't just them. I got bruised up and, and cut up too, but it's like, you know, my, my one bike store said I'd come in with a broken bike and I'd be bruised up. And he goes, well, at least you're riding, you know, <laughs> like if you're, you're, you're out there. And I, and, you know, I just finished taking this self-defense course and I was washing up and I went, oh yeah, I've got little bruises on myself. And, and we were comparing them last night. And it's like, if we're not, if we're not going to play, if we're not going to live, okay, then we might not get scratches or bruises, but are we going to be that afraid? So, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting, I think it's a very interesting question. And I, and I think, um, you know, each parent, you need to sit back and, and, and we're hardwired for our children to survive. We're just hardwired for that. So I think we, again, we just have to trust ourselves. We have to, you know, kind of go, okay. Yeah. You know, like, um, Maybe, you know, maybe they're okay touching glass. Maybe they're okay crawling across the gravel. I don't know, you know? So, yeah, it's a great question. I don't think I have a complete answer. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you you can think about something. Like like I mentioned, like hanging off the bridge and doing that kind of stuff. Like afterwards, it was like, well, I survived that, you know? Like another crazy thing that we would do is like during the winter, like the pond would freeze. So we would go out in the middle of the pond and light a fire and wait for the ice to, <laughs> and, and stand around the fire waiting for the ice to crack. And whoever was the last person to escape the ice without falling in would like be the winner of this game. <laughs> like we would do things like that. And again, like we would give you like that. Well, I survived that, you know, which I think like later in life gives us less anxiety because you yeah. look back like, like well, 
and, and more self-confidence and, and more confidence in my judgment. Even though it's like probably bad judgment to do those type of things, maybe. I don't know. Or maybe it's just well, you natural to do those kind of things to help yeah, build that the, type of confidence. I don't know. Yeah. Well, here's an interesting thing. You did it with your buddies. So, you know, if one of you guys would have fallen through and gotten into trouble, there was the rest of you to help. Yeah. Right. So you didn't go and do it by yourself. And you're right. It, it built confidence. And you know what? It's interesting is both my kids are risk takers and um, they're they're very independent. They've done some unconventional things, especially my son. Well, he's a little bit older, so he's had a bit more experience. He he went and figured out, you know, what to do. And he he took risks and. He's a very, he has a very, very successful um, position right now because of that. And I think, you know, like you said, we gain confidence when we do some of these things. And the thing is, you didn't do it alone. You didn't, like, maybe you were pushing the envelope. However, you had your buddies, you had your team, you know, they had your back. And I think that makes, you know, then, then like you said, oh, yeah, we did this. So now I can go do this. I think, I think you're right, because if we protect our children um, from these, these adventures <laughs> that we had, we've all, you know, we've all had these great adventures that we don't tell our parents till later, <laughs> uh-huh. um, that, uh, you know, then you're right. It does create anxiety in um, university and in college. And um, that's why sometimes uh, kids, I've seen kids when they've been very tight and controlled, that as soon as they get independent, they, they kind of explode a little bit uh, because they need to try these things. And uh, sometimes they try a lot. <laughs> so that, that so, brings, kind of leads me to the other thing is like, if it being too protective over a child when they're growing up could lead them to be becoming more anxious and more anxious adult because they've been so protected. So therefore they don't have the confidence and experience that they would normally have if they were allowed to take those chances and, and do what they wanted to do. Absolutely. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah, it's a confidence. Like you, you kept getting, uh, gaining confidence. So, and, and so it's not too late. I mean, if, you know, young people, we can still encourage them and, um, and we're backup. We can still be backups. And, and if we have a backup or a team or a community, then maybe we will take some risks, you know, like eating, crazy looking mushrooms that we've learned about (laughs) and finding out they're delicious. Right. So it's, it's an adventure and why can't it keep being an adventure? I think that's what life is. You know, I I mean, like I say, I I don't really feel much anxiety anymore. if, If at all. But now my goal is just to have as much fun as I possibly can before I kick the bucket or before I can't do it anymore. Yep. I mean, what else is there really? Well, for me, I, my goal is that I add value. If I can help somebody feel better, if I can help them find their happiness or their passion or inspiration, that, that kind of fuels my fire. Yeah, and, but it's probably fun for you. Yeah, I just, well, I, 
it's important for me to feel value that mm-hmm. I'm valued or that I can add value. Uh, that that is a, a big component in my life. Though I love to have fun, I love to forge. Um, you know, very physically active. Right, but it, what I'm saying is, it makes you feel good. It gives you pleasure to do that. Absolutely, totally. Yeah. So, so, so you're not doing anything that's that's not pleasurable for yourself. You're just- I try. <laughs> <laughs> I try. Actually, I. It's interesting because I got a little burned out last year, and I didn't really pay attention. I knew it, but I didn't pay attention to it. And of course, then I got sick, and it came back to energy. And um, so now I'm a bit better. I w- I've always paid attention to energy and watching that and watching, you know, a feeling drained around whether it's a certain person or a certain activity. And now um, you're right. I just, it's like even little things is, you know, is this, is this creating some excitement or good energy? Then, yeah, then fuel it and do it. And, and then we do start feeling happier, inspired, have more passion. And Yeah. And you're right. Every moment is precious because this is it. As far as I know, I don't know what else, but I mean, if there's some other, if I turn into some crazy ether and can do some more fun stuff on the other side, I'm up for that, but I don't know for sure. So, <laughs> you know, make every moment count. Well, I can say that this is not it from my own experience. <laughs> About 400 episodes of other people saying this isn't it. <laughs> good no i have i have lots of experience i just don't know for sure right yeah i'd like to but it'd be nice to know so you okay that's cool yeah that's very cool cool um so what you know one of the things that that also comes up a lot as a um you know way of dealing with anxiety is always meditation Learning just to sit back and recognize your thoughts, but not engaging them. Um, do you ever take that approach? I do every day. I spend time in the morning uh, meditating and reflecting, and then I actually do it at night. It's a little shorter at night. Um, I think it's, well, I personally get a lot out of it, and meditation can take many different forms. Mm-hmm. So, um, And it's part of feeding your spirit, which I think is important. Um just as much as feeding your body. We need to feed our spirit. Yeah, definitely. Um, So this has been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you for taking the time to be on. Um, Before we wrap it up, though, where is the best place for my listeners to find you and find your books? Oh, thank you. Uh, Well, the easiest uh, website, it's um, anxietywarrior.ca. That's the easiest one. It has lots of free resources. Um, They can find the book links there. If they want to find the link to my own website, they can find it there. So anxietywarrior.ca. That's that's probably the easiest. And um, that'd be honoring and great. So So I'll put a link to that in the notes of this episode. I'll also put a link to your website, too, because there's a bunch of videos and stuff. There too that I know I was watching it before the show that people can also view. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So that's just my name, and uh, so it's elkashoals.com. Yeah. So I'll put those two in the links of this episode so my listeners can check you out and get your book. Well, thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Well, thanks for being <laughs> on. Uh, it was great talking well, to you. Yeah. And, uh, thank you. 
And hang on for one moment, I just have to play the outro. Thank you.